Welcome to Let's Talk Ball. I'm Thad Brown along with Carl Jones. We are here every single week breaking down the X's and the O's, looking at the film from every single Bills game. Bills-Giants was a win, but Carl, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot positive we will say about the Bills after this game, um, and especially that goes for the offense. You know how they say the good, bad, and the ugly? Well, it was a lot of the latter, the latter two in this game right here, especially when you watch it back, you're like, oh, I see how this game turned out the way it was supposed to, considering they were 15-and-a-half-point favorites going in. I think we all kind of figured it was going to be a blowout. Wasn't the case Saturday, Sunday night. Let's start with the coordinator, Ken Doris, who's taking a lot of fire. Look, I, I think I'm not going to say this game had a thousand things that I thought he did wrong. There were plays and, and items that I don't like, but it's more so continuous of what he's been doing all year than anything I particularly saw in this game. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about specifically that I want to get into before we we're going to dive in the weeds here and come back out, but when they run a lot of mesh concepts, which is receivers outside coming together, when most teams run them, it's one, two steps and cross like three, four yards below the line of scrimmage so you can get somebody open fast. The Bills run at 10 yards downfield so that by the time anybody's open, you're like two and a half, three seconds into the play. I don't know how you expect a quarterback to always be available for that. You know, so that, that has bothered me. Um, you know, beyond that in this game, there wasn't anything that overly stuck out as, wow, that was terrible. I mean, the, the touchdown they drew up to Hardy was a nice little call, and there were two or three of those. So a mixed bag for me, Ken Dorsey game, but not improving on any of the things that I think people have been complaining about going into this. And I wasn't even really bothered that much with that shotgun run of the goal line that everybody hated. Honestly, for a while, I didn't like shotgun on the goal line because it's like, oh, just QB sneaky. But with quarterback run being such an advantage for offense these days, when you put the quarterback back at shotgun, you do add him into the running game, which when you have Josh Allen, who's 295 pounds or how much he weighs these days, he's, he's a legit threat down there. Now, granted, they haven't used him in that facet, but when he's back there in shotgun, he also is a threat to run the ball. So I'm not really too concerned with uh, Josh Allen being in gun um, in terms of, oh, just put him under the center and QB sneak. Well, yeah, I think that's a logical thing, but I'm not really too concerned in that regard. Having said that, in terms of Ken Dorsey in general about this game, I think they they started off well. Now, Stephon Diggs had to drop on the first drive, and then um, the Gabe Davis got tripped. Right. So then they kind of got out of, like, the little decent, like, mojo they had. And then on the very next drive, they were driving a little bit, and then Gabe Davis uh, fumbles. fumbles. And then after that, they just never got into any rhythm whatsoever, whether it was throwing the ball, running the ball. And I'm not going to say, oh, like, they couldn't get out of the funk. Like, they couldn't, I guess, get out of their own way to a certain extent. But it wasn't like... I didn't see promise at any point. You watched it back, you're like, all right, that drop killed the drive. Like, the second trip wasn't a trip that would have affected the play, but the Gabe Davis trip legitimately flipped the like it flipped the field. Like, it right. would have been in deep into Giants territory. So I think watching it back, I don't know if there's an overarching theme on Ken Dorsey, but it wasn't good to see for 50% of this game you couldn't move the ball on the Giants. I'm going to take 30 seconds quick to talk about the rhythm comment because everybody talked about it after the game. We couldn't get into a rhythm. And I kind of look at that as a non-reason because to get into a rhythm, you have to be succeeding. Why didn't you get into a rhythm? You weren't succeeding. Don't tell me you didn't get into a rhythm and that's why you weren't succeeding. That's like saying, why didn't we win the game? We didn't score more points to their team. <laughs> of course, idiot. That's, that's the only way you can not win a game. Right, yeah. But as someone who played, is there anything to getting into a rhythm? In other words, if you get one first down, does that make it any more likely that you get the next first down? To a certain extent, yeah, but I, I think... A lot of the times with the Bills, a lot of it was just execution. It wasn't like there was like some belief, like oh, like I, I, I got this macho man thing, like I, I'm locked in. Now, like 
a drop is a drop. I don't care if we're in rhythm or not. Mm -hmm. Like Stephon Diggs doesn't drop passes because he's out of rhythm. He just drops passes because it just happens. It happens. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, like Gabe Davis didn't fumble the ball right there because he was out of rhythm. Like whether it was Josh Allen leaving pockets, he's left pockets when he's been in rhythm before. Like I don't think this game was any indication of, oh, they were in a rut and could have got out of it. Like this just didn't play well. Point mm -hmm. Blake period and the Giants had a game plan for him that they couldn't figure out until literally the end of the game. You talk about the receivers, good segue into what has been another consistent problem for the offense, which is secondary receiver production. And this was a game that kind of screamed out, you know, no one else was available. It got to the point where Josh Allen, to his own detriment, was locked on to Stephon Diggs. As much as, you know, the Bills should and, and do involve Stephon Diggs, there are other guys that need to produce. But you and I were talking about this a little while ago. The problem with that is it's not like Gabe Davis or Dawson Knox or Deontay Hardy are running around wide open waving flags. Look at me. They're generally covered, which is why Josh Allen's not throwing to them. So, I mean, there were a couple plays in this game where they had Gabe Davis pass blocking, which, you know, <laughs> when you think about it for your number two receiver is a banana's thought, but me and you will tell you Gabe Davis is probably more effective as a blocker than he is as a receiver. So I get it. I don't know where you go in terms of creating production for those guys. That's where it's going to be interesting going forward because there were a few plays where you're like, man, Josh, come off of digs. Someone else was wide open. But it wasn't like that was out of the – It was a couple of plays. Out of the 30 targets he had, I mean, uh, dropbacks he had, it wasn't like – like you said, it wasn't like, oh, like every single time someone else was open. Like, no. Nah. The one that sticks out to, in memory was the one play where the Giants double Stephon Diggs on the left side at the top of the screen. And on, when you watch it on TV, you're like, man, Josh, go to somebody else. It was obvious he was getting doubled. Well, you watch it back. Dawson Knox is covered on a drag. Deontay Hardy's covered on like a little sail route. And whoever was to clear out, he never had a chance ever. So I'm like, you know what? Might as well give the chance to 14. He has a better chance of catching the ball than anyone else. Even doubled. Even doubled. Mm -hmm. So I, that where it was a little, not a little, it was very concerning. Because the volume of targets for me isn't really the biggest issue. Because if he's that darn good, I don't care. Like, mm -hmm. go ahead. But the issue is the other guys just aren't winning. That's where I'm like, all right, that's, that's a big problem for me. Run game for the Bills, um, look, there was success, and, and I give Dorsey credit and the offensive line credit for opening holes, but in this game, and this has kind of been a theme all year, when you count guys in the box, the Bills are running the ball seven on six, you know, eight on seven, six on six. Normally, for you know, people who don't watch film all the time, because the quarterback is not a part of the run game, a defense will line up with the numbers in their advantage. So when the Bills are, are at an even, either an even state numbers-wise or have the advantage, to run the ball for four or five yards a pop, which is what the Bills did, is really not impressive. Now, look, the Bills are taking what they're supposed to, to take. Um, they're keeping drives moving. James Cook had a decent second half. So there's positives there, but I, I'm not going to sit here and walk away from this game and write home about how the Bills were great in the run game either. I think that is a continuation of how they're changing their offense this year. And it's through six weeks, I believe they played six games. Yep. They're evolving their offense in terms of taking Josh Allen out of the run game. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they talked about it at nauseum all offseason. We didn't believe it at first, I guess. Like, oh, are they really going to allow, like, take Josh out of the they run game? They have done that. You're they right. have done that. So, I will give them credit for that. And I know they'll bring it back. Well, you assume they built, they'll bring it back for the postseason deeper in the year. Um, but this is going to be by far his least amount of carries in his career. Not even close. So, of course, some of the staples, the easy button plays where you can just get four or five yards, Josh Allen can do that for you. This year, those easy, like those easy gains aren't there for you because you've removed it. So I think that's where they're struggling a little bit when they don't have the numbers advantage because they've always had, you know, the, the trump card. Mm -hmm. Josh, Josh right. So I think that's where a, a little bit of the funk in terms of the numbers advantage is coming from for the Bills run game. 
Up front, um, I thought this was the worst game that Osiris Torrance and Connor McGovern had in a Bills uniform. I don't think either guy was bad because they've been playing pretty solid up until this point. But in this game, both in the run and in the pass, I didn't think either guy was really up to snuff. Uh, Deion Dawkins, after having a terrible game against Josh Allen the week before, I think was pretty solid against Kayvon Thibodeau. But the offensive line, I don't know if Josh Allen trusts them enough because there were two or three or four plays where you see the quarterback, you know, bailing out of clean enough pockets. And I don't know if we're talking about the same play, but going back to the one you brought up where Diggs is double and the other guys are covered, I think it was that play. I thought Hardy was clear in there. And if Allen sits in the pocket more, he's able to make that throw. But because he saw any, any kind of white jersey, he was gone. And look, as good as Josh Allen is scrambling, and he's amazing, it does pretty much ruin whatever passing concept was called. And, you know, we talk about secondary receiver production. Well, those guys can't produce if what they're supposed to do on a play is irrelevant because your quarterback's going to go do what he wants. And it was increasing in frequency last week and this week to where Josh Allen's not staying within the structure. I think that also ties into the, to the pass pro from the running backs. There was a couple reps where James oh, Cook just, it was a play action. Josh Allen turns around and it was a color right in front of him. Now, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, he made that play work. But I don't think it's just the five people up front. There was another blitz, delay blitz from the backers. That might be Josh's responsibility. But he came scot-free right off the edge of Deion Dawkins. Up front in total, like there's just a bunch of just moving parts that are just coming too scot-free back to 17. And you can't live in any conducive world in terms of offense, continuity, when you're con- consistently moving off the, your spot. Oh, there's, there's pressure from here, pressure from there. It's just a whole bunch of just not going well in terms of protecting 17, whether that's him calling out protections to five people up front or just James Cook literally whiffing on a backer blitzing. Yeah, James Cook as a, a blitz pickup guy is 100% a liability right now. You know, it's enough where you might see Latavius Murray get third down snaps because they, they can't trust him at the moment to, to pick those blitzes up. Especially since Cook isn't like a, a great receiver right now where he must, he, he must play on third down. All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. This is the weekly portion where we rave about Ed Oliver, who was bananas good again. Uh, the highlight play to me was when he used the guy who was blocking him to make the tackle. He literally walked the tackle into Saquon Barkley and knocked him down by shoving the offensive lineman into Barkley. And, and that's just the, the single underline of how good Oliver was in this game. There were a couple plays where he got off the ball so fast, Tyrod Taylor almost got tripped. Like, he was just, he's just a phenomenal ball player, and he's going to have to continue to play at that level without Daquan Jones next to him. And he, did a high, he had, a, I believe, 80-something snaps, percentage of the snaps as well. It felt like he was out there a lot. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like he was out there, like, on his normal rotation where he, you know, rest a little bit. Like, no, he was out the majority of the game, and he did his part. And it, how good was he and how important is he? The three or four snaps where he got blocked, those are pretty much all the big Saquon Barkley runs. <laughs> like, if you want to – when did he not play well? Well, when Saquon Barkley went for 15, it's because that Oliver actually got single block once or twice in this game. But he was um, just unbelievable. Let's talk about the linebackers quick here. Um, Terrell Bernard, Dorian Williams starting together for the first time. A far cry from Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. And, and look, understandably so, those other two guys are great, great players. I was a little disappointed in this game. Um, I thought, look, these are two undersized running back or linebackers, and it looked it. I thought both guys got blocked fairly easily a lot. Now, Bernard still had his, his group of plays where he'd, you know, navigate wiggle his way through blocking and make a couple good tackles. Um, and the, the pass coverage was okay. Williams had a great one-on-one with Saquon Barkley in the second quarter. But I, I thought Bernard was a little less than what we've seen from him the first four weeks of the year. And, and Williams as a tackler leaves a lot to be desired. The big 34-yard run is Williams in the hole, essentially not being blocked, 
and just whiffing on the play. Yeah, and going back to the pass coverage responsibilities, a lot of those third downs were the corners really didn't get a lot of action in terms mm -hmm. of this game, and they were kind of right in the middle of the field. A lot of that is just route recognition where the backers just aren't feeling it. A couple of them were Dorian Williams. I can think one off the top of my head where the, the inside receiver just sat down right in front of him. He just couldn't get a feel. Now, you either A, hope that's just with him being out there. Inexperienced, more, inexperienced yeah. Mm -hmm. Or B, there's just some guys who just don't have that. Right. Like, that's just a thing. So you hope that that's the case in his regard. But there was definitely some Tyrod Taylor plays where he just threw it right to the sticks and the backers just didn't have a good enough feel for the routes behind them. So I didn't think they played amazing either. I want to ask you about that because, they're, like you said, you know, a lot of the third down conversions were short throws between the outside corner and the backer. And you're saying it's on the backer. I wondered on a few of those, do you want your corner squeezing in a little more? You know, I, I guess I'd have to go to each one and figure out where the right. other receivers are. But there were one or two where you had Taron Johnson going outside with a wide guy. Like, I remember one, Johnson goes outside with a short wide receiver, and then the throw is made between Elam and Benford, I think. And Elam is basically guarding the sideline, you right. know. And, and I'm not saying he's wrong. There's a good chance that's his responsibility. But, you know, looking at the play, the thing that would make the most sense would be bring your corner in and help close that gap down a little bit. I think this is where this kind of new realm of when you're not playing with Matt Milano, when you're not playing with Trey White. When you're not playing with someone who you know intimately next to you. You can't play as aggressive as you want in terms of play calls. So there's going to be some situations where you're going to have to give and take. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't all the time be aggressive. So you're telling guys, I want you to just a spot drop and just protect your area, right? I, you don't, I'm not going to match patterns as much mm -hmm. as we used right. to when you have a guy like Matt Milano who can really feel anything behind them or a guy like Trey White who is really instinctive in those areas. So there's going to be some times where guys are just going to drop back and just be in their area and, and just if, be in their area yeah. and if the Brock comes to it, it comes to them so I think it's a little bit of both I mean mm -hmm. Sean McDermott is going to try to figure out all these next three months or so how to figure out a way to stay aggressive while at the same time not putting his guys in harm's way let's talk about the corners now I thought Brian Dable for the most part did a nice job dissecting some zones you know there, there were a few uh routes con concepts where you're like okay Dable knows where the bills are going to be he knows how to exploit it and they just went and, and made sure it was good um Elam and Benford did not impress I thought Benford was a little better than Elam. But outside of a, a couple deep balls, there weren't really a whole lot of opportunities where you said, oh, well, I need my corner to make that play. For the most part, they were sitting back. They were making sure things didn't go over their head. They were coming up and tackling. It, it felt like they were doing what they were asked to do, even if it wasn't super impressive. I mean, that's he, Sean McDermott kind of gave us a little peek into how they're going to play from here on out without Matt Milano, without a pass rush that's maybe not at his peak, mm -hmm. and Trey White as well. I will say, I thought Benford had a sequence in the late third quarter, fourth quarter, where he did his job, and it really tipped the scales in the Bills' favor. It was a third and 14th where he, with Tyra Taylor, wanted a screen at the bottom of the uh, wanted a screen. Benford got in, knifed it, so he had to come off of it, and I believe he chucked it somewhere else. But the play that I love that, like, Benford's a great tackler, but the one-on-one -on -one tackle with Saquon Barkley, I don't think it's getting enough pub. If Barkley breaks that tackle, that's a house call. Mm -hmm. And... Tackling Saquon Barkley is hard enough. Doing it at 190 pounds, every OC, Brian Dable, when he drew this play up, he said, look, I want y'all to block everybody but that corner over there, Saquon, make him fall. And Benford did a good enough job of bringing him to the ground. That was good. And then obviously the PBU at the end of the game was very, very good in every aspect of the word. Um, Elon really didn't do anything to stick out. Tackling still wasn't great. I mean, the yeah, long Saquon run was your weekly flag from from Elam, unfortunately. Oh, you know, man, yeah. Wasn't, that was. It, I mean, it was two plays back to back where I thought he could have gone. I, when you watch it back on film, I didn't know which one was holding because it was two plays in a row. Like, <laughs> right, right. So, 
I, I thought Benford played well, played better as the game went on. Taron Johnson was amazing in this game. Um, he is a lot. Everybody saw the play at the end of the game. Yes, it was probably pass interference, but whatever. The guy made the play. But beyond that, as a run stopper, we haven't talked about him as much because, you know, Milano's been having such a great year. You haven't need to see seven. But in this game where the linebackers did not involve Matt Milano, he did stick out to me more and was doing his thing. He's like a missile, you know, coming over four gaps laterally to blow up run plays. You know, and, and you cannot overstate how valuable that is. And you were talking about it, too. It wasn't just making tackles and he was free. It was getting off blocks. He had 15 tackles. The nickel corner led the team in tackles. There was one play where he threw a guard off of him. A guard is 300 pounds. Taron Johnson is not one, that 190 on a yeah. good day, yeah. right? Uh, he just this is an all-around great player, and they're going to need a player at that second level to be. I mean, I guess a, an All-Pro type of guy without Matt Milano right there, and Taron Johnson, I think is good enough to do that. Uh, final thought for me on defense: Von Miller looks really slow. Looks, you know, almost to the point where. I wonder if the Bills weren't in an injury crunch in London if they would not have activated him. I guess at some point you need to get him out there and get him back into game shape. He said it himself. It's going to take a while to get me into game shape. But he, he did not look like a guy that was intimidating anybody. And, you know, for Von Miller, it's the speed and the agility, and it's just not there so far. The get-off. I think that's yes. the thing that was getting me. With the elite pass rushers, it's two things, the bend and the get-off. He doesn't have either right now. Like, when he's, he's getting off the ball at the same rate as everyone else, which is, I, I guess, is. All right. It could be worse. It could yeah, be worse. Right. Coming off an ACL. But then the bend at the top, where that's the Vince's Von Miller play, where he's underneath the tackle and he's you're, he's like 90 degrees parallel. You're like, how is he doing this? That's not there yet. So I mean, who knows when if that comes back? But Saturday, Sunday night, you didn't see Von Miller. AJ Epinesa, by the way, has the get off the sack. The first sack he had. I watched that four or five times in a row. I'm like, did he jump the snap there? <laughs> he just blew past the tackle. And look. I don't know if Epinesa can continue playing this way, but the last few weeks, he has been absolutely excellent. Anything else from you defensively? Nah, they just got to um, – they're lucky they have this stretch right now where they get to figure things out against the Patriots, I think the Bucks. They have some yeah. games where they can fill things out a little bit. Yeah, the Giants were not good. Uh, Mark Glowinski was – had a terrible night. I can't – watching a film over with him might, might have been a nightmare if, or be, to be him when they watched the film from that game. Um, but, you, look, you saw why the Giants were 1-5 and, and, and barely competitive especially when they were on offense. All right, uh, next week we will probably do this on Wednesday because the Bills play on Thursday, so Tuesday will be a busy work day. So we'll be back here probably Wednesday, but we will be here to break down the Bills and the Patriots. Thanks for watching and listening. We're here every week at RochesterFirst.com, on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. For Carl Jones, I'm Thad Brown. We'll see you next week on Let's Talk Talk.